Section 14 of Essays on Art. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hopeful Swan. Essays on Art by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Translated by Samuel Gray Ward. Section 14. Letter 5. The freedom of your answer assures me that you have taken my letter with the greatest good humor, and that this choice gift of heaven in you has nowise been disturbed. Your sheets were to me a propitious gift and in a propitious moment. If good luck comes oftener alone and more seldom in company than ill, I am at any rate just now an exception to the rule your letter could never have found a more acceptable or more significant moment and your remarks upon my odd classification could not have borne fruit more speedily than at the very moment when like a bursting seed it fell into a fruitful soil let me now relate to you what took place here yesterday that you may learn how a new star has arisen in my horizon, with which your letter of yesterday came so happily into conjunction. Yesterday, a stranger made his appearance, whose name I was already familiar with, and who has the reputation of a skilful connoisseur. I was pleased to see him, made him acquainted generally with my possessions, let him choose what he would, which I exhibited to him. I soon noticed his cultivated eye for works of art, and especially for their history. He knew the masters as well as the scholars. In cases of doubtful works, he was familiar with the grounds of uncertainty, and his conversation was highly interesting to me. Perhaps I should have been hurried on to open myself in a more lively manner towards him, had not my role of listener to my guest made me from the first take a more quiet tone. His judgment in many cases agreed with mine. In many I was forced to admire his sharp and practised eye. The first thing that I deferred from was his unmitigated hatred of all mannerists. I was in pain for some of my favorite pictures, and was curious to discover from what source such a rejection could spring. My guest had been late in his arrival, and the twilight prevented our farther examination. I gave him a little collation, to which our philosopher was invited, for this ladder had lately drawn nearer to me. How it came about I must tell you in passing. Fortunately, heaven, foreseeing the peculiarities of men, has provided a means that as often binds us together as separates us. My philosopher is taken with the grace of Julia, whom he left as a child. His right feeling engages him to make himself acceptable to uncle as well as niece, and our discourse usually turns upon the inclinations and passions of mankind. Before we were all assembled, I seized an opportunity to lend a helping hand to my poor mannerists. 
against the stranger. I spoke of their beautiful nature, their happy handling, their agreeableness, adding to keep myself safe. Thus much I say only to claim for them a certain degree of forbearance, though I admit that that high beauty, which is the highest end and aim of art, is in fact quite a different thing. He replied, with a smile that did not altogether please me, inasmuch as it seemed to express an overweening self-satisfaction and a sort of compassion for me. Are you then stanch in the old-fashioned principle that beauty is the last aim of art? I answered that I was not aware of any higher. Can you tell me what beauty is? he exclaimed. Perhaps not, I replied, but I can show it to you. Let us go and see, even by candlelight, a fine cast of the Apollo, or a beautiful marble bust of Bacchus that I possess, and try if we cannot agree that they are beautiful. Before we go upon this quest, said he, it would be necessary for us to examine more closely this word beauty and its derivation. Beauty, Schönheit comes from show, shine. It is an appearance and not worthy to be the object of art. The perfectly characteristic only deserves to be called beauty. Without character there is no beauty. Surprised by this mode of expression, I replied, Granted, so it be not proved, that beauty must be characteristic, yet from this it only follows that character lies at the root of beauty, but by no means that beauty and character are the same. Character holds to the beautiful the same relation that the skeleton does to the living man. No one will deny that the osseous system is the foundation of all highly organized forms. It consolidates and defines the form, but it is not the form itself. Still less does it bring about that last appearance, which as the veil and integument of an organized whole, we call beauty. I cannot embark in similitude, said my guest, and from your own words, moreover, it is evident that beauty is something incomprehensible, or the operation of something incomprehensible. What cannot be comprehended is not. What we cannot make clear by words is nonsense. I... Can you then clearly express in words the effect that a colored body produces on your eyes? He. That is again a metaphor that I will not be drawn into. It is enough that character can be indicated. You find no beauty without it, else it would be empty and insignificant. All the beauty of the ancients is only character, and only out of this quality is beauty developed. End of section 14. Recording by Hopeful Swan.